Judges 2.10, as you saw in the video, says, After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. To put this in context, it's talking about the Joshua generation. Uh, Joshua, the leader that comes after Moses, who, who brings the people, the Israelites, into the promised land. They, they have amazing uh, victories with God, right? God is with them. God has provided for them all along the journey. And now they're entering into this promised land that God has promised for so long. They have amazing victories, defeat armies and cities, and God gives them the territory. This is the generation it's talking about that eventually dies off, right? And it says that after Joshua's generation dies, another generation comes up who does not acknowledge the Lord and doesn't know who he is, right? Doesn't remember the good things that God has done. Well, that's just, it's crazy for me to think that this Joshua generation who is so successful in so many areas failed in one big area. They failed to father the next generation. They failed to raise up the next generation to take on what they had experienced and to move forward, right? And we see that all throughout the Old Testament many times is you have these generation of people that are just world changers. And they, they fail to raise up sons and daughters that can take what they've gotten and be built on that foundation. And most people just have to start over. I think it's the picture of, of where we are so often in our culture is that, that young people just kind of have to start at the bottom because many times we failed to really raise up the next generation to follow God and to take what we've experienced, right? But it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to stay that way. It can change you see, I believe that if we keep our head on a swivel and we begin as, as adults, as, as mothers and fathers, as we begin to look around the culture around us, not just to our own kids, but to kids all around you, you have an opportunity to pass on the truth. You have an opportunity to love on students until they experience God and then you disciple them in that. You have an opportunity to invest your time and your resources and pass on what God has done to the next generation. I think many times we act like the world is just getting worse by the second, right? How many of you have ever said, man, the world just, it was bad when I was young, but now it's even worse, right? It's just going down the gutter. We, we say that a lot, and it's probably true, but what is the, what's the solution? Is the solution going to be for us to say that it's going down the gutter, or is the solution for us to step up as mothers and fathers to the generation and say, it stops now? We can make a difference, and I know it sounds kind of daunting, it sounds so big and so like overwhelming, but all you have to do is love one. All you have to do is disciple one, and then disciple another. It spreads quickly. What are we going to do? How are we going to change the fact that culture has taken our children? Jesus understood more than anyone the power and the impact of really investing in the younger generation um, we see often Jesus is spending time with, with children. He's spending time with his disciples. Um, there's a cool story in Matthew or Mark 10, uh, Mark 10, 16, and uh, Jesus is actually teaching to people, and a bunch of children run up to Jesus, and they just want to hang out with Jesus. They want to be near him. And the disciples shoo them off and, and pretty much just dismiss them and say, look, Jesus is busy. He's doing something right now. Like, he has no time for you. And Jesus quickly rebukes his disciples and says, no, I, I want the children. Draw them. I want to draw them closer to me. I'm, 
You know, because Jesus is the good shepherd, right? He, he wraps their ar- his arms around these children. And this is what it says uh, in, in Mark 10, 16. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. What a cool story. What a cool passage right there. That Jesus wraps his arms around them and blesses them. Blesses the children. You see, even when his disciples were trying to dismiss and ignore children, Jesus, his heart was to bless. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of who Jesus is. He has a heart for the young generation. And when we get tired of them and we get irritated and and they're just getting on our last nerve, guess what? Jesus still has a heart for your children. Jesus still has a heart for for the middle schooler, the high schooler that that are just going through difficult times and, and just can't seem to stay out of trouble. Jesus has a heart for them. And he wants to wrap his arms around them and bless them. Uh, want more proof that, that Jesus loves the younger generations? Let's, let's take the disciples. Jesus' disciples, I, I don't know if you knew this, but most of them were teenagers. Most of them, if you look through history, they were actually young men, 15, 16, 17 years old, that left everything to follow this man named Jesus. He invested three and a half years of his life fully for them. He walked with them, talked with them, ate with them, shared stories with them, prayed with them, showed them miracles. He gave himself fully to the younger generation. Jesus took time to bless those younger. Now, I don't want to offend anyone this morning, but this, I'm speaking this towards myself. I feel like many times we can't bless the younger generation because we're too busy complaining about them. Many times we can't bless and build up the younger generation because we're too busy just, just talking about how agitating they are, right? And how frustrating they are. Man, what, what would culture look like if we could see a young generation that is being built up by the church? This is supposed to be the safe place, right? This is supposed to be a place of refuge, a house of, a house of safety that we as a family can build our children up, that we can build the young generation up to be successful, to go further in God than we did. Now, I know teenagers, uh, I know children are hard, but I definitely know teenagers are hard. I've, uh, Ashley and I have been youth pastors for almost nine years now. Um, we love it, wouldn't trade it for anything. In fact, people always tell me, so when are you going to be a head pastor? And I'm like, yeah, probably never, because I, I mean, at this point, I, I love students. I love working with students, and I can't see myself doing anything else, right? I love investing in them. Um, I know students are hard sometimes. I know that your children are not sweet little angels all the time. Can anybody, can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. Um, I know that. Um, You know, a couple months ago, we, Danny and I and our wives, Ashley and Lindsay, we we brought our junior and senior students to Concan, uh, Texas, to the Frio River. And we're, you know, we're bringing them to have a retreat. And uh, so Danny, we had three cars to drive them. Uh, Danny's really nice SUV, um, Lindsay's really nice SUV, and then you had my SUV um, <laughs> to drive them down to Concan. And uh, after about three days of being there, I kind of caught wind that my car was nicknamed the ghetto car. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I- I'm getting my feelings hurt. I worked hard for that car back in like, you know, 2007. And I know it's 13 years old, and it's got 200,000 miles on it, but it's still running, and it got you to the river, right? Got you to the river. 
And so I'm thinking to myself the whole time, how can I come back? How can I get a comeback here? And then I finally just said, I'm not, I'm just going to let it go. I'm not even going to act like I heard it. And the, but later on that night, I'm like, Ashley, did you know they were calling my car the ghetto car? And she's like, yeah, they've been saying that all week. I'm like, thanks for helping me out. <laughs> um, and so I, my car became the ghetto car, but the ghetto car got them to the Frio River so they could have fun, right? Uh, and the ghetto car is ghetto because of students dropping their Coke and their Reese's cups all in my car and, you know, just tearing it up. Back to, back to the thing at hand. As much as I know that children and students, this younger generation, can be hard and difficult, I also know that they're made in the very image of God. They are made in the very image of God. And the thing that happens so often is that we, we fail to see the younger generation from the lens and the, the eyes of the Father. Many times we look from our own perspective, we look from our own human nature that are sinful, right? That, have, that we are imperfect, we make mistakes, and we look at the younger generation and that attitude. When God is calling us to look at young people with the heart of the Father, with the eyes of the Father, because he sees Jesus in them. He sees the image bearers of God in them. That's the heart of God for young people. And so I'm just, I'm just wondering, what would culture look like if we spent more time blessing and praying for students and for people than we did complaining about them? Well, wonder what culture would look like if we spent more time actually investing our time into the younger generation and then pulling them up and saying, we want you to be successful. We want you to go further than we went. I think it would look different. And I think it starts here in the church. I think it starts here in this place of refuge, this family, that we can build our children up and other children as well in the ways of God. We can do it. You see, these, these students, these, these young people, they are made in the image of God. They are the apple of God's eye. They are his sons and daughters. They are his prized possession. Yes, the five-year-old that won't stop screaming is God's prized possession, the 15-year-old the that won't clean their room and won't give up their phone and are just, uh, you're just about to drive you nuts. Image of God. It's who he is. And he's calling us to pull that out of them, to disciple them. There's a, there's a lady by the name of Karen Wheaton who, uh, she's, probably in her, she's probably in her late 50s now, uh, she started a youth ministry in Alabama, a little, little small city in Alabama and uh, 1999, and um, she f- had an awesome gospel singing career, was all over TV, and she felt like God was telling her to give that up and go invest in the lives of young people in her hometown. So she moves back to her hometown of Hamilton, Alabama, and just begins to invest in f- with five, and ten, five to ten students. Every Tuesday night they met five to ten students for a year. Something started happening. God began to break out. The students of the city began to start coming. After, you know, after a while, it started turning into dozens and hundreds. And all these students are giving their lives to the Lord. Now 16, 17 years later, it's still going on. And they're doing conferences all around the nation. And they've reached literally hundreds of thousands of students because of one act of her just saying, I will invest even if it's in five students. I'm willing to invest. And this is the, the promise that God gave her. And I want to just... I want to speak this over you tonight as 
uh, many, or this morning, as many of you are parents, I just want to speak this promise over you that God gave her when she started this thing. It says this, what you invest in the lives of other young people, you will reap in the lives of your own children. What you invest in the lives of young people, you will reap in the lives of your children. And I believe that with all my heart. And that means if you have young children or if you have children that are older and they've got their own children, I believe when you invest your time to parent well, invest your time to bring them up in the Lord, that God will do amazing things. When you invest your time into this young generation, I'm telling you, God will absolutely bless everything about it. He will raise them up. I was a 16-year-old senior in high school, um, and we got a new youth pastor, uh, probably like the fifth youth pastor that I'd gone through. And so I was already kind of skeptical of youth pastors. They come and go, and um, you, just, you just don't know. I couldn't trust them, right? I had a youth pastor when I was in ninth grade. Um, and just to give you a little context, I was a very hypocritical Christian um, that acted one way at school and acted another way at church. Uh, but we got this new youth pastor that brought us on a retreat and began to tell us that, oh, it's totally cool. You guys can cuss. It's all, it's all good. I'll cuss with you. And, and just, I'm like, are you serious? I mean, I cuss. Like when I was, when I was in ninth grade, I'm thinking, I cuss, but dude, that's not cool for you to do that, right? Um, and he got fired pretty quick. Uh, but he started teaching theology that God's grace is enough. He covers everything. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you come back and say a prayer. And it messed a lot of our, a lot of our youth group up, a lot of the kids. Um, and so when we got this new youth pastor when I was a senior in high school, I was already kind of skeptical because I was like, oh, yeah, all those youth pastors are the same, right? Um, and this guy was different. There was something about him. There was an anointing on his life. There was a pursuit after Jesus that I had never seen in anyone before. His name was Jeremy. Uh, He's a spiritual father in my life even today. He's only seven years older than me, but he brought me so far in the Lord that he became a spiritual father to me. Um, I just remember watching his pursuit and his passion after God week after week when I was faking it. I remember watching how he would just worship. with It didn't matter who was watching He would just worship crazy, you know, just have that passion and and that love for Jesus. I eventually experienced Jesus under his leadership, and he began to disciple me. He began to invest his time into me. He began to take me fishing and just talk about the Lord with me and tell me stories of God's miraculous power in his life. And I began to grow, and I began to learn, and I began to experience all that God was wanting for my life because of his influence. Those are, that's just one person in my life that has made an impact. There's been so many more. And the cool thing is, is Jeremy, as a youth pastor, he's, he's impacted so many people. There are dozens of, of students of his that are now in full-time ministry are advancing the kingdom of God, are faithful to their church, are faithful to their family. And here's the good news. You don't have to be a youth pastor, a kid's pastor to do this. You don't have to, uh, to be, have a role on staff at a church to be able to invest in young people. You just have to have a willing heart. You have to make some time. You have to be willing to be a little frustrated sometimes, right? But just be willing. Be obedient. Many of you are parents and you've been doing it all your life. You've been investing in your students. You've been investing in your kids. Keep doing it. 
Bring them up in the Lord. There's many of you in here that are, are teachers. Thank God for you. You've been investing a lot of energy and just you've been busting it, right? To educate students. But even when you walk into your classroom, you don't have to just educate them. You can bring the voice of the Lord to them. You can share the gospel. You can just be a good influence in their life. You can be a motherly and fatherly role to them. You can raise them up in the way of God. Many of you here volunteer at 1910. Thank you so much. Can we give a round of applause for all of our volunteers? Seriously. It's a big deal. And if you volunteer with the Hill, with our middle school and high school, or with Pastor Todd or Pastor Randy and elementary and preschool, you guys have no idea the difference that you're making. But guess what? We need more of you. We need more of you. Because here's the deal. We have 160 people going to a sin camp tonight, and there's going to be many students that give their life to Jesus. And next week, they need you. Next week, they need mothers and fathers that were, are here to disciple, to love, and to invest time into. They need you. Whatever your role is, the mission is the same. It's to, we're called to see the next generation go beyond where we have gone in God. We're called to not stand on a stage and preach at students and make them feel bad about their sin and their lifestyle. We're called to build them up, lift them up, and put them on our shoulders and say, you can go further than what I've gone. You can go further at 16 years old than I was at at 16. I know you're only 11 years old, but you can experience the supernatural power of God now. You, you don't have to wait till you're 25, right? There, there's no junior Holy Spirit. It's with you now. As an 11-year-old, as a 5-year-old in elementary and, and kindergarten, you can experience the supernatural touch of God. You can have a radical pursuit after him at 7 years old. You can go further than we are. That's really the heart of the father. That's really the heart of fathers and mothers is to bring their children further than you've gone, right? As mothers and fathers, I would, I'm not a dad, but I know that, that my heart would be, when I do have children, to see them be more successful and go further in God than I've ever been. I think that's just a natural heart thing. You want to see your kids go further. And it's the same thing spiritually with the kids that we get to invest in. We want to see them go further in God. I want to end today with a, a really cool, epic showdown that happens in Luke 7 between darkness and light, between death and Jesus. And how many of you know when Jesus comes face to face with death, Jesus always wins, right? It's a good reminder for you if you're going through some junk. Jesus always wins. So this is what it says, Luke 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man had died, who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, her heart his, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. Then the bears stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And this is a key part right here. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. What a picture of, of darkness and light, of death and life. I, I just when I read this scripture, I imagine just one of those epic movies where you've got 
you know, the war, the armies are standing right in front of each other and they're about to go, about to, go to battle. I, I just picture this, this funeral procession coming out of the gate and all these people are, are weeping and wailing and, and they're full of sorrow and there's just a crowd of people coming towards the gate and Jesus is just standing at the gate, him and his disciples and this, that, their little army right there. And I just imagine that Jesus is saying, I got this, this is easy, no big deal, right? Death has got nothing with me because I can handle it. And when I read this, I, I see this, this prophetic picture of, of a generation right now that's being swept away by culture, that, that's being carried away out of the city and basically being buried, right? It's been saying all hope is lost. There's no hope for this generation. They're getting worse and worse and culture is getting worse and worse. Our world is going down the gutter. How can we stop it? I'm telling you, Jesus can stop it. Jesus is the answer. Jesus can face any amount of darkness and death because light always overcomes darkness. Always. And I believe it is a prophetic picture of what our young generation looks like. They are being swept away. They're being buried alive by culture. And they're looking for some mothers and fathers to stop it looking for mothers and fathers that are ready to be there when Jesus awakens a young generation. He gave the son back to his mother. It's because the son needs the mother. The son needs the father. And I think it's interesting that this, this, this dead boy is fatherless. What a picture of our culture, a fatherless generation. And I know I'm speaking to the choir because many dads are in here, and I honor you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to invest in your family. Thank you for bringing your family to church. Thank you for, for making it a priority to say yes to Jesus, that my family will follow the ways of God. And for you mothers in here, thank you for investing in your children. Thank you for honoring the Lord and bringing them up in the ways of God. We need mothers and fathers that love a generation, but not just love their own kids, they love kids that aren't related to them. That's what we need. I know Bernie's a great city. It's a, it's a great community. And we've got great families here. But you know Bernie's full of single parent homes. Bernie's full of kids that have no parents. And they're in foster communities. They need mothers and fathers. And you're the answer. We are the answer. If not us, then who? You see, a fatherless generation is a dying generation. A generation that doesn't have fathers, doesn't have daddies that will be there and love, and doesn't have mothers that will be there to nurture, it's a dying generation. We've got to be the generation that raises the next generation up and says, this is who God is, this is what he's done in my life, and guess what, he wants to do it in you. But he wants to do more. He wants to bring you further. Ashley's reading this book called The Mentoring Project, and I just wanna read a little passage out of it that really struck me. It says, in the United States, some two, uh, 20 million children are growing up in single parent homes searching for dad. But dad is nowhere to be found. He left when he got his girlfriend pregnant and will never see his child. Or he ran off to another city to start a franchise family. Or he is incarcerated, locked away. Or he is home, 
but lost in substance abuse, alcoholism, for some reason unable to engage children. Rejection is the defining feature of the fatherless generation. Rejection is the defining feature of the fatherless generation. I believe that because I live that. Rejection was the defining feature of my teenage years because I knew I didn't have a father that cared enough. Rejection was the defining feature of me turning away from God and trying to live my life. But when I felt the Father's love for the first time and I had a youth pastor that was there to invest and to love me as a father, my life was changed. I believe God is looking for the same for our young generation. And guess what? The young generation is not dead. They're just asleep. And Jesus knows that. Jesus can wake people up. Jesus can wake the hearts of students in this city up in a heartbeat, but he needs mothers and fathers that are going to be there to invest. He needs mothers and fathers that are going to be standing there when they wake up from their slumber and say, I will pour my life into you. I will disciple you. I will do whatever it takes to love on you and to serve you and to see you go further in God than I've been. Did you know that 63% of suicides among youth come from fatherless homes? 71% of girls that get pregnant as a teenager come from fatherless homes. 85% of behavior disorders among students come from fatherless homes. And here's a big one. 90% of runaway teens and homeless adults come from fatherless homes. And when I say fatherless, I want you to understand it's, it's mothers too. We need mothers, but we've been lacking a lot of fathers. And I know from experience what it does when you don't have a daddy at home. You need a father. So my question to you this morning and to myself this morning is, where are the spiritual mothers and the fathers? Where are the ones that are willing to give up everything to see a generation go further? Where are the ones that are willing to stop the trend of culture that really is carrying our students outside of the city to bury them? Because Jesus is waiting. Jesus will encounter students. His Holy Spirit is faithful. And I believe some students this week at a sin camp are going to come face to face with a God that desperately loves them and is passionate for them. But when they get off the bus next Saturday, they need some parents that are standing there to put their arm around them and say, let's do this thing. Let's go further. Let's disciple one. Let's, let's go. I will bring you up in the ways of God. I will love you no matter what happens. So let's get our head on a swivel. This week, this month, this year, the rest of your life, can you be looking for opportunities to love a younger generation that don't always deserve that love, right? But guess what? We don't always deserve that love. But we had a God in heaven that sent his son for you and I. Can we love a younger generation? Can we bring them back? Can we stop the trend of culture? We can do something about it. Don't be overwhelmed. Start here. Start in your community. Start in your city. And I believe this is a perfect spot. Bernie's a great spot for God to break out in revival with students. I believe that. 
Pipe Creek and Bandera and Comfort and Leon Springs, that's a great spot for God to break out a revival. It can happen. Do we believe it? Can you stand up? So I want to challenge us with this. Just some action steps as we leave here today. Can we be intentional about investing in, blessing, and loving the younger generation? Can we invest? Can you invest in your own children, but make sure that you're also looking around to see how you can invest in other children as well? Because there are a lot of children out there and a lot of students, and there are many of you in here that never had a father or never had a mother to really love you. We all need mothers and fathers. Invest your time. Invest your resources. Um, Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to do something actually a little different than I did in the first two services. But I want every, just if you're 20 years old or younger, can you just come up to the front if you don't mind? And we're just going to surround you and just pray over you. awesome it's good to see that many in church right it's awesome in fact I want all of you guys even adults I want you to just kind of come forward and we're just going to surround them and they may feel awkward and they may not want you to be right there but we're just going to do it anyways just come up and just surround them we're just going to pray for them Make sure every student has, has someone praying for them. And I'm just going to speak a prayer, and we're just going to believe that God wants to bless. God wants to awaken hearts. God wants to do a mighty work in the young generation. So here we go. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Father, as we... Learn to love a generation, God. As you teach us to to love and invest in a younger generation, God, would you give us a burden and a heart for them, God? Father, would you give, give us a heart, God, to see them succeed? Would you give us a heart, God, to see them come to know you, God, to know you for real, not just the church game, God, but an intimate, radical, passionate relationship with you, Jesus? Father, would you bless them right now, God? Lord, would you awaken their hearts, God? If there's any doubt that you're even real, God, right now, Father, would you come and move on hearts? And Lord, would you move on the hearts of the mothers and the fathers, God, to really raise up their children and to help raise up the other children, God, and the ways of the Lord. Lord, we just break off the spirit of rejection, God, that you do love them, that you have a fatherly love, For every student, God, that doesn't have a father at home or doesn't have a mother at home, Father, I pray that you would just replace that with your fatherly love, God. Would you overwhelm them? Would you just blow their mind and their heart, God, with how great you are and how much you love them? Father, would you fill this place with your spirit? And God, would you just release these students in this community to reach their friends? But God, allow us to love the younger generation and to invest our time, 
our resources, our energy into them, God. God, would you start a revival in this community, God? Start here, Father. We want you. We want more of you, Jesus. And Lord, for any person in here right now, God, that has never said yes to you, but they feel a tugging at their heart today, God, to give you their life, to say yes to you, to start a relationship with you, God, would you speak to them right now? Would you reveal yourself to them in an awesome way? Be with us today, God. And see your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys for doing that. That's awesome. Hey, as you guys are being going back to your seat, our prayer and ministry team are actually going to come down to the front. And if there's anything you need prayer for, I challenge you, don't leave today without getting prayer if there's something going on in your life. And also, if you're a first-time guest, thank you guys for being here. It's an honor to have you. We'd love to meet you in the garage, which is right across the atrium. So, hey, feel free, please. Don't hesitate. If you need prayer for anything, our friends up here would absolutely love to pray with you. Hey, guys, we love you. Happy Fourth of July weekend. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday. You are dismissed.